This is Michael Easley in context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Kevin David Sorbo, born in Mound, Minnesota. That's right, home of the Tonka Toys, beautiful shores of Lake Minnetonka. <laughs> 1958, so you're still a young fella. Yeah. You are married to the lovely Sam Jenkins. You have three kids. We do. Ages of your kids? They're 12, almost 13, and I got a 10-year-old and a 8-year-old, boy, boy, girl. A lot of moving parts. A lot of moving parts. Zone defense in this horrible house. Exactly. And once you get past two. Let's talk a little bit about from uh, Minnesota to college. You started out doing some acting on the side. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, you know, I mean, I, I was only 11 when I wanted to be an actor. I, I went to the Guthrie Theater there in Minneapolis. It's a very famous theater. And saw the Merchant of Venice, a little Shakespeare. Didn't know what the heck they were saying up on stage. But I knew I was mesmerized the entire time and told my mom on the way home, I said, I'm going to be an actor. And I got that loving pat on the thigh saying, that's nice, dear. <laughs> so, but I was, you know, I was a jock. I was a football, basketball, yeah. baseball guy. And I really didn't really didn't dive into it until I got into college and, and beyond is when I sort of made the big move out to Los Angeles. But uh, the goal was always there. Uh, the, the, the drive was always there. And I moved out here not knowing a soul, knowing that it would be tough. But, uh, you know, a friend of mine, the best advice he gave me, he says it's called show business, not show show. Mm. So I had my double marketing and advertising majors and uh, used that to market and advertise myself. 1986, you were in L.A., 150 commercials, uh, the legendary journeys of Hercules, 1995. What was that like starting in that? Actually, Hercules started shooting in 1993. Okay. started airing in 94. And then we shot, so we did one, one season of Hercules, and then we did uh, six years of one-hour episodes. And that first year was awesome for me because I got to work a whole year with Anthony Quinn, which was amazing. Yeah. So I got a year with Anthony down there in New Zealand, and I heard all these wonderful stories. And uh, we then passed Baywatch as the most-watched TV show in the world, which was amazing to be part of that. Then I got Andromeda, so I got five years on that. So from 1993 to 2005, I was out of the country. I was in New Zealand seven years and Canada for five. So even though Canada is close to us, I was still spending most of my time up into our northern neighbor. And all this journey, did you have any idea? I mean, obviously the first, the first season of Hercules had to be like, okay, this is really cool, right? Oh, yeah. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> initially it was just supposed to be these five two movies, and that was it. But I, I had a feeling by the end of the second movie they're going to make it in a series. I, I didn't hear anything from everybody, but I, I could tell what was happening on set. It was pretty cool. People were just really loving it, and the action was great and fun. And I said, this is, this is such a great family show. And sure enough, you know, by 1996, we passed Baywatch as the most-watched show in the world, and just, it just took off from there. It's incredible. Let's talk a little bit about your journey of faith. You grew up in a Lutheran home? Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Take us down Kevin's uh, story there. How, so you grew up in, going to the Lutheran Church from time to time regularly, and then something happens. Um, well, I was, I was pretty regular. I mean, okay. my parents were always pretty adamant about going to church, so it was just part of my life since birth. And um, the church got so big that actually our Sunday school was on Wednesday nights after school. And wow. sometimes that got tough for me to make, especially when I got into the junior and high school levels, because I had... I had uh, I had basketball practice or, you know, football practice or games and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I just remember when I was, I was in about fifth grade or sixth grade, I remember asking my parents, because we had a pastor that was very fire and brimstone. I mean, very, very 
Old Testament in terms of the anger of God, and I just, mm. I just don't think God is that angry with us. I started questioning that. I never never wavered in my belief that there there was a God, that there was a supreme being that started everything, and uh, so that was never a problem with me like questioning my faith. But I, I questioned the way we were being taught in, in our in our church, and then we had a, um, a youth pastor come in, and this guy was this guy was pretty cool. He was talking to us. Mm-hmm. as kids, as teenagers and stuff, and uh, that made a big difference for me. But I went to a Billy Graham revival there in St. Paul. Uh, what year was that? I don't know, like a 74 maybe. Okay. And I was just mesmerized by what he had to say. I was blown away. I was blown away by a number of people there, and it was a hot August night. I got to uh, go up front and uh, met him very quickly, but I, I, I was talking with one of his helpers, and we prayed and we talked, and for a long time, and it was uh, it was very instrumental in me. It was very instrumental in that. So it's a moment I, I remember very vividly in my life, and uh, you know, it just sort of it just I don't look I don't come myself reborn. It just really cemented myself. I look at reborn as somebody who fell away from God and came back. I, I wasn't reborn. Like I said, I never really wavered in my faith. Mm-hmm. I certainly uh, am not proud of things I've done in my life, but I think all of us, you know, we're, we all sin. We all I've done stupid things, and I continue to do stupid things, but. Yeah. I, I try not to, but uh, like I said, it's just the faith has always been there. But it's the church we go to out here right now in California is it's it's pretty it's a pretty cool place. The pastor is quite amazing speaker. What stirred in you? I mean, obviously the size and all that, but you know, I've been to crusades as well, and there's something otherworldly about those experiences. But to get up and go down takes takes something. Well, I think it was also because it was you know it was outside. There were a the hundred thousand people. I think. I think the cover of the masses and the cover of the blackness of night gave me a little more courage to go do it. <laughs> and uh, it, but I, I remember it was I, I remember feeling just so alive. I remember the goosebumps. Huh. I remember the stomach with butterflies, and I just I just remember it was it was a pretty. I felt like I was walking on air. It was a pretty cool feeling, actually. As you look back from from the Lutheran Church and from the Grand Crusade, what are some other things, Kevin, where you started growing spiritually? God used either people or maybe books or experiences where God was moving in your life? Well, you know, flash forward to the Hercules years. Um, I At the end of season five, I, like I said, I lived in New Zealand during that time. I was flying back to America to do promotional work on, on a movie that I'd done a year earlier, and I was about to do another action movie for Universal Studios. But I've been having problems with my left shoulder for a long time, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. with I was blown off because I was, you know, I was lifting heavy two hours a day on top of the fourteen hours a day on a set. I was doing most of my own stunts. I loved doing it. It was fun. I was the athlete in me that still wanted to do all these fights with all these great stunt guys I had. And um, I came back, and the shoulder had been bugging me so bad. I went to see my doctor here in Los Angeles, and he said, you got a lump here. you got something going on here. I think, so. I, think I want to do a biopsy on that. And that freaked me out, of course. Mm. And I went to see my chiropractor. And eight years of seeing this guy, he's never cracked my neck. Because I told him, do whatever you do, don't crack my neck. You can crack anything on my body. Leave my neck alone. Because I've had a crack before, and I never liked it. Mm-hmm. Didn't like the sensation. And I'm laying on the table, and I heard a voice inside my head said, don't let him crack your neck. And I opened my eyes. I looked up at the doctor because I was on my back. I said, what did you say? He said, I didn't say anything. I closed my eyes again. Again, the voice said very loudly, do not let him crack your neck. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's never cracked my neck. Why am I hearing this voice telling me not to crack my neck? And as I'm arguing with the voice in my head, he cracks my neck. Mm. And I sat up and I said, why did you do that? And he said, I felt you needed it. And I said, but why? You know I don't like that. Well, Within minutes, that lump I had in my shoulder was actually an aneurysm. And it was so close to the 
uh, our feeding into the brain that when he cracked my neck, it forced three of the blood clots that was in that aneurysm into my brain. I suffered three strokes. Wow. And two of them went to my balance center, one went to my vision. I realize I'm lucky that I could have, you know, I had three bullets of the brain, I could have been killed instantly. Mm-hmm. I could be in a wheelchair the rest of my life and incapacitated. But I spent the next four months as a guy playing the strongest man in the world on a TV series, a guy in his 30s in better shape than most guys in their 20s. Um, learning how to walk again and balance myself again. Wow. I still have a 10% loss of vision in both eyes. I went back to New Zealand after four months of rehab. I had to drop out of the movie I was in, obviously. I went from a 14-hour workday to one hour a day the first month, then two hours the second month, three the third. I just slowly worked my way back up to a, a schedule where they could have me more on the show. They wanted me in every episode because I'm Hercules, and the show's called Hercules. Yeah. So, uh, But they realized that... Uh, you know, as, as sick as I was, I, there's not much I could do. And I just kept going through the rehab and therapy I needed to get better. It took me three full years to feel 100%. Wow. And uh, I wrote a book. It's called True Strength. It's out now. I've been doing a lot of speaking engagements because of the book, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I, I hope your, your, your listeners go, go get it. It's on Amazon. Uh, they can go to truestrengthbook.com to get a video on it and more information about the book. But it was a long process. And that voice in my head, I know, was God. God was trying to warn me, and I didn't pay attention. Mm. And, uh, you know, I went through all the stages people go through when horrible things happen to them, when, they're, when it doesn't matter if they're young or not. But, uh, you know, I had a career that was going pretty strong, and it put everything on hold for a while in terms of uh, my action career movie and stuff because, uh, you know, Hollywood didn't want to take those chances with mm-hmm. me anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it's been a, it was a long grind to come back. But like I said, I was very fortunate to keep working. Um, that work gave me a light at the end of a very long and dark tunnel, and I just kept pushing myself and pushing myself and did 10 times more than what the doctors told me I should be doing to get myself better. Mm-hmm. When you were, let's say, depressed, not in the same word, but I, I live with chronic pain, so I know a little bit about rehab. And when you get sort of down and like, goodness, I can't do the things I used to do, what was some of that true strength that kept you going? Because that, that's a long rehab. Oh, trust me, I got depressed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I suffered vertigo. I had the sensation that I was falling backwards 24 hours a day oh, for about a year and a half, no matter if I was standing, sitting, laying down. It didn't matter. The sensation was I'm falling backwards, falling back. And it just, it was, I had a sound, a buzzing sound in the back of my head. Um, it, was, it was just, this stuff just drove me crazy. And I told my wife, I looked at her, I said, you know, I've never understood suicide, but I understand it now. She looked at me and I said, no, no, don't worry, I'm not going to kill myself. I love life, and I'm a very mm-hmm. strong-willed person, and that's what got me through this. And my, not, not only my faith in God, but my strong will. And you know what? I railed against God. I railed against everybody. I do what most people do, and especially what people do in our country today. Is they blame everybody else for the problems right. in their life. But uh, because of uh, my, my strong-willed New York wife and my strong will and because of, of, of God telling me to stop feeling sorry for myself, um, I just I looked at it. This is a gift. I said, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity for me to change the things that I've been doing in my life that were wrong or bad or whatever it was. I said, I said, this is a chance for me to to be more grateful and more appreciative for the things I have in my life and not take it for granted. Mm. And uh, it it opened my eyes. And it's just I I I just it it made me a better uh, a better husband. Made me a better father. It's made me a better actor. Um, I've embraced the the stuff that happened to me and that's what I tell people in the book is don't let people and especially yourself set limitations after you've encountered this and it's been amazing on the on the road at, at the book speaking assignments the, the speaking engagements I've been doing um, meeting people have gone through either strokes but heart attacks car crash cancer whatever it is 
crying and telling me that my book has made them feel yeah. better yeah. and motivated them to be stronger and find their own true strength, yeah. hence the title. Let's talk about your movie, God's Not Dead. When you started this project, did you have any idea you'd get some of the uh, responses you've received? <laughs> um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, think, I think we knew we had something good. The script was great. The cast right. was wonderful. The crew, I mean, all the pieces of the puzzle were there. And the director, Harold Kronk, is a friend. And I know he, he, was, he came in so prepared and did such a great job with this wonderful script. And all the actors came in prepared. It was, you know, we knew we had something interesting here because it was a different sort of faith-based movie. It was a movie that dealt with the scientific viewpoint of atheists and the scientific viewpoint of Christians and why we know God does exist. So you had both sides of the argument going on there, and you had, you had five stories going on in this uh, movie that they all sort of meet at the end. It's sort of like a faith-based crash movie. You know, it's a small budget movie, two million dollars. Well, the thing done thing made sixty-two million in box office, and it was all word of mouth. It was people out there letting the industry know that they want more movies like this. They love the movie. They love the characters. They had a story. They had characters you could identify with. Characters you could relate to. And it's just complete word of mouth. It's now in, I think, 40 countries, I heard. And so this thing could reach $100 million worldwide. It's already dollar for dollar the most successful movie of the year by far. One of the YouTubes I saw was a Newsmax reporter. And um, it was an unfortunate interview. But I love the statement that you made toward the end of it. Morals are declining. I don't care if you're religious or not. Morals are declining. The country is going under. We're getting worse and worse, and everything is okay, according to half the population of this country. Not everything is okay. You live in a context where, and as I often say, Christianity is the only religious group that you can vilify and get away with it. Which is amazing to me, because I don't see Christians strapping bombs on themselves and blowing up people in churches and buses and cafes. Right. You know, we've got, a, we've got a religion out there that, for some reason, our government wants to protect in the Muslim world. Of course not all Muslims are bad. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that if you, if you have any kind of criticism towards the Muslims, you just get attacked. I'm going, but look, there are 300 million in a 1.2 billion Muslim society, 300 million that they're estimating mm-hmm. that are hell-bent on destroying the Western way of life, destroying Christians, uh, murdering Christians. They're blowing up churches in Nigeria and in mm-hmm. Egypt. They're killing Christians. Where's the news media covering that? Nowhere. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I wish someone could explain to me why our mainstream media protects these people. Protects these are these, these mainstream media guys have no clue that these 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 Taliban guys, these hardcore Islamic terrorists, would cut their heads off in a heartbeat. Yeah. And, and yet, you know, if you're a Christian. You get, you get attacked for it. I don't get it. I wish someone could explain to me what's going on in this world right now because it's, everything's backwards. Everything that they try to do and say to do is the right thing to do is the opposite of what they should be doing. It's a funny fight we have right now because um, if you mention Judeo-Christian values or the notion that America is a Judeo-Christian culture, you really are marginalized very quickly. Um, and you're right regarding mainstream media. In Hollywood, it's got to be a completely different world, right? <laughs> well, look, I'm a conservative and I'm a Christian, so I got the double C, yeah. I got the double whammy against me in Hollywood. So, if you come out, even if you say you're a true independent in Hollywood, they look at you like you're just an idiot, and uh, it's it's amazing to me. I mean, we can get in the political discussion, but we don't need to go down that road. But it's, it's, I don't get it for an industry that screams for tolerance. They have no tolerance. They only want freedom of speech for what they what, want to say. Right. If I have a different point of view, they don't want to hear it, and their only argument 
is you're wrong. They don't deal with facts. You can hit them with all the facts in the world that totally displaces everything they say is that they think is right. And all they say is, you're wrong. And they go, well, tell me how I'm wrong. They don't have an answer to that. They deal with emotion. They deal with anger. They deal with hatred. Mm-hmm. And they deal with, they, they deal with these negative um, uh, entities that are just so, so damaging. And uh, you can see it in the product that comes out of Hollywood. You can see it in the product that comes out of the television sets. And uh, uh, this, this country is going downhill. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not some whack job that goes around preaching on street corners. That we're all going to hell. But I'm telling you right now, this country, our founding fathers are turning over in their graves. For atheists to have a larger voice and being the smallest minority in this country, larger than the majority of people in this country who believe in God, mm-hmm. you know, taking down nativity scenes because it offends them. Mm-hmm. How can something offend you that you don't believe in? Yeah. Please explain that to me. You don't believe in it, so who cares? Well, but it might be offensive. See, it might be offensive. So, yeah. So, so how does Kevin Sorbo deal with this internally? I mean, obviously, we could agree with each other, you know, and talk about yeah the injustice of it all. But you and I are called to a higher king. You know, we're we're called to live a life of faith. God has you in a context where you've had a tremendous amount of success in 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 many ways. Certainly, you've lost some opportunities that perhaps would have been available had you not been a conservative and a Christian. So how do you how does Kevin deal with this in his heart and soul? Well, going back to it, my my faith and my conservatism has has definitely hurt me in my in my industry. Um, it's 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 pretty blatant. It's there to see. Uh, I've been very fortunate though to keep doing a lot of independent movies. A lot of people still want to work with me. I'm I'm a professional. I show up. I, if I like a part, trust me, I will be there, and I will give you my heart and soul. I love the industry. I love to act. I love being on the set. I love the creative spirit of that. And, uh, you know, I just, I, it sounds corny, but I just got to be true to myself. I mean, I'm not a perfect person. I'm far from that. I'm totally aware of that. I, I'm as flawed as any man could possibly be. But uh, I, I, I think the best message is to keep doing movies like God's Not Dead. And as I said, if people want more movies like this, then they've got to support it. They've got to get out there and do exactly what they did for God's Not Dead and for Son of God and for Heaven is for Real. They've got to get out there and support these movies because more of them will be made. Hollywood's all about making money, and I don't begrudge them that. Business is business. I get it. We all want to be able to have a home and feed our families and all that kind of stuff, so I get it. But at the same time, if you want more movies like this, then they have to go out and support it opening weekend and, and show that you uh, believe in these movies and want to make them work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this coming fall, uh, fall of 2014, you have a, fil- a film coming out that was uh, made in part in Cottonwood, uh, Franklin, Tennessee, The Secret Handshake. The Secret Handshake, wonderful movie. Uh, Howie Klausner wrote it and directed it. Howie did a great job. Howie is uh, also known for a number of uh, scripts he's written. I think the one he was up for Academy Award was uh, called Space Cowboys with Clint Eastwood and Tommy Lee Jones and James Garner. Uh, it's a great movie. I hope we get this thing out there soon. I know they're, they're loving what they're seeing, and I hope some uh, distribution companies that they're talking to get this out there b- uh, before the year's out. It's a family comedy. You can't really call it a faith-based, but it's still, you can put lump it in a faith-based because it's, it's, it's family-friendly. It's a good movie, and it deals with life. It deals with being a family member and having kids and having a wife and all those kind of things. So uh, I, I'm hoping that we get it out there sooner than later. It was, it was a wonderful experience. When you look at your bride and your and your kids, Kevin, um, what do you what do you pray for them for their future? Obviously, the country concerns us. As fathers, were were anxious about that. But how, you look you at know, your wife I and did, kids. I, I, on one hand, I worry about what the country is going to look like when they're when, in ten, twenty years for them. Mm-hmm. I, I am concerned about that. Where where we're going, where we're heading. 
But I, I also believe we're reaching a tipping point. I think a, the, the majority of people in this country are now saying, you know, enough is enough. Um, and get out there and vote for crying out loud. You know, we get the governments we deserve. <laughs> you, want, you want to see this country turn into a socialist country, then, then, then that's what you're going to get. You want this country to go back the way uh, it, it once was, being productive and being the leader of the world, then do that. Because I'll tell you what, if America falls out of being the, the leader of the world, which it is fast doing, who's going to pick up that mantle? Mm. You want Russia to pick up that mantle? China? I mean, it's, you know, it, we're not a perfect place, but we've certainly made the world a better place for a lot of people. And a lot of people take that for granted. And I think history repeats itself because people do not read history. That's the problem. And the model that we're going on right now, I worry for my kids. There's no question. I, I just hope they grow up the way they're growing up now. They're growing up strong. They're growing up independent. They're growing up thinking for themselves and asking questions all the time. And I just tell them, you know, you gotta, you got to fight for what you believe in. And I can't make them think one way or another. All I can do is lead by example and hope that they find that to be a good example to go by. So what other projects do you have coming out, Kevin? There's, um, from PureFlix, there's a movie called uh, Revelation Road on DVD. It's a part three of a three-part series. I've already got two parts out there. It's called Revelation Road, um, and it's, uh, it's, it was sort of a post-apocalyptic world. It's uh, Revelation is in the title for a reason. So I, I hope people check that out and check out the first two as well, and they can check out the third part when it comes out soon this fall. Love it. I would love people to follow me. I'm on kevinsorbo.net is my, my page with tons of information, or they can follow me on Twitter on the official Facebook page of Kevin Sorbo. Long title, the official Facebook page of Kevin Sorbo, but a lot of people have stolen my name. So um, <laughs> I hope people check it out. I post a lot of interesting things that make you think and uh, hopefully make you laugh and make you have conversations. Kevin, when you, you undoubtedly meet young uh, actors, or let me say, uh, men and women who want to get into acting, they want to have a career. What, what counsel would you give them as people of faith? Uh, I'll tell you, you're, you're going to be tested, and uh, it's an industry that deals on negativity. It deals about uh, elimination. Everything is: you're too tall, you're too young, you're too old, you're too short, you're too something in Hollywood. It's, everybody's afraid to make a decision out here. I'm amazed anything gets done because if they make a decision in the wrong, they may lose their job. So. It's a, an interesting dichotomy. You have to come out and be in this industry, and you can, don't have to come to Hollywood. You can do it anywhere, obviously, to be an actor. Um, but do it because you love it. Do it because you love the craft. Don't do it because you want to be rich and famous. If that happens, that's just a bonus. Do it because you love the craft of acting. You love, I got into it because I love the idea that I can make people think, make people talk, make them cry, make them get angry, make them all those things. I just, same reasons why I love going to movies myself, is just to see the different emotions that... Uh, that hopefully a good and well-written story can do to me. Hey, thanks again for your time. No worries. Thank you. We'll do it again. All right, man. Blessings. Jesus told us, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. It's hard for us to understand persecution. We don't want to overstate it. Being persecuted for your faith in Nigeria is very different than being persecuted for our faith in America. So we want to be careful. But that said, we will experience times where because we are called a follower of Christ, because we're called a Christian, uh, we might be discriminated against. It is curious to me why Christianity is the only, quote, religion, close quote, that can be vilified. Granted, we're speaking of a relationship with Christ, not a denomination, but the fact that when I say I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I am a Christian, I hold to certain values, that that in our culture can inflame many. Well, how do you live? 
And like Kevin, I can be confused and discouraged and worry about the future for my children. But at the same time, the believer's called to have hope. We serve a king. We serve a sovereign, not merely a world government. And as grand as America may have been and may be again one day, our hope is not found in a flag. Our hope is not found simply in a, in a legislative and judicial branches of government. Our hope is found in the king, the sovereign Jesus Christ. Now, we have a freedom right now, and it's freedom of religion. It's freedom of faith. You can choose to believe in Christ without fear. That does not mean it will always be that way but we can always be men and women of faith. No matter what the culture is like, no matter what the attitude and the climate is like, uh, can you smile? Can you look toward the future with hope? Can you trust in Christ and Christ alone, no matter what your circumstances dictate? Choose to hope. Choose to hope in not being a better country. Choose to hope in being faithful. As I often tell my friends, ask God not merely for a miracle, but ask him, for an immovable faith. No matter what our circumstances might be, we trust in Christ and Christ alone, not merely our culture or our politics. This is Michael Easley in Context.